love for you to take your Bibles, turn with me to Paul's second letter to the Christians in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have your Bibles, you can take your phones or your iPad. Just make sure it doesn't find its way to Facebook, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing and follow me as I read verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Eternal God and Father, as we come to this part of our coming together to worship you, it is now time for you to speak. Lord, we've used our hearts, we've used our spirits, we've used, Lord, our voices to worship you, to exalt you, to rejoice in incredible truth that has changed our lives, truth that has come directly from you. And so now, Lord, it's time for you to give us a word. Give each of us, you know where I am, you know where literally everyone is that has gathered here. You know where they are in their relationship with you. You know where they are in their fellowship with you. You know, Lord, what we need to hear. And so, Lord, as you said in the letters to the churches in Revelation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Open up our ears that we can each receive personally the word that you want to speak to us. So, Lord, we entrust this in your hands. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Because of the times in which we live and the reality of the culture we now live where there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of hatred, there is a lot, if I can use this phrase, craziness going around, that we are very serious here at WBC in focusing in on safety and security. And so while we're gathered here right now, we have 37-something cameras throughout the campus strategically placed. We have someone right now looking at the monitor, looking at all of these cameras to know what is happening on the outside, what's happening down through the corridors so that we can be safe and secure. In addition to that, we have an officer that is on campus. We have men who are uh, in different places around with walkie-talkies, keeping their eyes on everything going on, and, and they're locking doors. All around us, doors have been locked while we gather right here just so that we can have a sense of peace, a sense of assurance that we are safe and secure. It is a reality, and we're very, very serious 
about it here. We want to protect our children. We want to protect uh, the whole church family and those who come and join us so that we can worship the Lord our God. It's just the reality of where we live and in the times we live. But my question for us this morning is this. How serious are we about our spiritual security? And by that, I'm not talking about uh, the fact uh, of the believer's security that is in Christ. That is a different study for a different time. But I'm talking about how serious are we about being safe and secure in terms of our relationship with God, our walk with God, in terms of what God is doing, let's say, in our marriage or what God is doing in our family or even what God is doing here in the body of Christ spiritually. Are we as serious personally and, and in our lives about our spiritual security uh, as we are about our physical security as we gather together to worship? When you read this passage of Scripture right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is talking about a reality that began from the beginning of time. It got started in the Garden of Eden. And we know then that we have uh, another evil out there that is constantly seeking uh, to destroy us, to discourage us, to defeat us spiritually in our lives, whether it be to keep us from knowing Christ and receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, or once having received Christ, then trying to uh, also to defeat us and try to destroy our testimony that we have in the Lord. And so we call this spiritual warfare. And obviously, when you look at what Paul is writing here, he is talking about this kind of warfare. He says again, verses three and four, though we walk, we do not walk, or though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. That is the, the bringing down of strongholds or spiritual strongholds or sinful strongholds that are in our lives. So he's talking here about a reality that's just as real of us having to have cameras and having to have someone to watch the monitor, have to have an officer here, have the doors locked because we never know when they're going to enter into a door and then we got to deal with the reality of it. So we have several lines of defense to be able to protect ourselves physically, but what about, what is our line of defense to protect ourselves spiritually in our lives. Well, when you look at this particular passage, we see that the first line of defense has to do with our mind. The doors of our mind. Notice what he says in verse five. Just pick out the words that he uses. You may not be using your American Standard Version, but it's gonna be the same words, gonna make reference to the same things. And here's what he says. We are destroying speculations. That involves, of course, the mind and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God in our mind. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so Paul is revealing to us that the first line of defense spiritually in our life 
has to do with our mind. Now, I'll be honest with you, the Lord wants our mind. All right? He wants our mind because our minds are the control tower of our lives. And so if he can get our minds captive, as he says here, that they can every thought captive in Christ, and if he can get us, our minds captivated to the truth and the will and the ways of his word in our lives, then he knows that he can bless us. He can be directly involved in every facet of our life, every relationship of our life. So yes. Yes, the Lord wants to get our minds because if he has our minds, he has us. But let's be honest. There's someone else who wants our minds and that is Satan and his kingdom of darkness. So what I want to do this morning is look at it from that direction. I want to talk about Satan's desires. I want to talk about Satan's doors and if we get that far, which we didn't in the early service, we're going to talk about Satan's defeat. So let's get started. What is, what is Satan's desires when it comes to our mind? Well, first of all, Satan wants to blind the mind, the minds of the unbeliever, those who are not saved. So look with me, if you will, this same letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and look what uh, Paul writes here, beginning in verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and here's what he writes, says, if, even if our gospel, that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's hidden, cannot be seen. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Well, who are those who are perishing? Those who have yet to believe in Christ. As it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So those who have yet to believe in him are those who are at this moment in time in their life still perishing. So then he says this. He says, in whose case, verse 4, the God, little g, God, the God of this world has, watch this next phrase, blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So, we got to understand that the spiritual condition of someone who has yet become a believer, someone who has yet to believe in Christ, is that spiritually they, they're blind. They can't see. And that's important for us because our tendency is uh, to, to almost get to the point, unfortunately, where we berate those who are lost because we say, I don't get it. Why can't they see it? Why can't they understand who Christ is, what he's done for them? How could they not embrace our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Here's the answer. They're blind. You, you can't berate a blind person for not being able to see because Satan has been able to blind the eyes of their mind. So they can read the words, they understand the words, they can understand John 3, 16, 
but they can't wrap their heart and soul around it because in their mind, they're still blinded. There was a young man in Florida who uh, was an atheist, and so he wrote a letter to the local newspaper there to describe and explain why he was an atheist. And of course, I can't give you the whole thing, but one statement I thought was very fascinating, I wanted to put that up on the screen, where he wrote this, this is when people finally stop praying to a non-existent God to save them from a non-existent hell, then finally we will have a world populated by men and not sheep. Well, there was another young man in that town that read that and just absolutely was devastated. But he was a spirit-filled Christian. And so he had a burden for this young man who was claiming to be an atheist. So he started praying for him. And he used actually this text here that we're looking at right here in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. And he just began to pray uh, by name and ask the Lord to remove the veil. Ask the Lord to so work in that young man's life where his eyes, the eyes of his mind would be open so they not only could see the words, but it would touch his heart and he would begin to understand because his mind would be open. And so several months later, they came, their paths crossed. And so this young man that was praying just shared the gospel with him. Guess what happened? His mind was open. And he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And all of a sudden, the whole word of God, which he had mocked, all of a sudden, it just came alive to him. It, and as he responded back to that, he was talking about, I, I, I could read it, I could understand the words, but I did not understand the truth that was in it until my eyes were open when I received Christ. And that's what Jesus talks about over in John chapter three and in verse three, where it says, Jesus said to Nicodemus, says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here's a challenge to you. You know someone, maybe more than one, they're not a believer yet. They haven't been born again. They haven't come and their, their mind is blinded. Stand in the gap. Intercede. Pray your heart out for him for God to remove that veil, to work through the power of his spirit to remove that veil, to remove the blindness so that when they hear the truth, they not only know the words, but they get the message and they come to know God. Never, ever, ever give up praying for them. You say, well, I have heard that the scripture says that the spirit of God does not work for man, work uh, to man forever in Genesis chapter six. That may be, that is true, but that's God's decision, not your decision. It's not my decision. You just keep praying until God removes the veil. But there's a second thing, and this is obviously just as serious. And that is that Satan's desire not only is to blind the minds of the unsaved, but to corrupt the minds of the saved. You say, 
Pastor, you mean a Christian's mind can be corrupted? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In this same letter of our, where we started in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 11, Paul, Paul writing to the Christians in Corinth, writing to a group of very immature Christians who were struggling with a lot of things there. A lot of things, a lot of division that was in that body of Christ. And he was dealing with a lot of different things, but the thing that, that concerned him the most, he articulates in verse three. Listen to what he says. He says, but I am afraid, this is Paul the apostle, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Look at that phrase, led astray. Most translations, not the New American Standard, but most translations use the word corrupt here. Because what it's talking about is that Satan's desire ultimately is to draw us away from the truth. Draw us away from the wisdom of God. Draw us away from uh, the word of God. And the further we get away, the more we listen to his lies and the more we listen to his deceptions, then the more our minds get corrupted uh, which, with that which is not true, which is against the will of God, against the ways of God, against the word of God. So Satan's desire is to corrupt our minds, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the way he does this is he tries to move us away from what I call heavenly wisdom into human wisdom. So let me just ask you a question, just as you're thinking about your own life right now. The decisions that you make do you make decisions based on human wisdom or heavenly wisdom? God's wisdom. Here's heavenly wisdom. It says, seeing and interpreting life from God's perspective and making life decisions solely on that basis. Now, obviously, I highlighted the word solely here because what Satan wants to do is to bring in a little bit of both. You know, we live a little bit by heaven's wisdom. We live a little bit by human wisdom. And we think that's cool. We think somehow or another that makes us even more smarter. Because we can, we can relate to the world. And we can relate to heaven. And we can use a little bit of the world and a little bit of heaven by which to live our lives. Wrong. He just fallen right into his trap. He wants us to live by his wisdom, that is his ways and his will and his word and not corrupt it with anything related in terms of quote unquote human wisdom. And let me tell you why. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of James, the book of James. That's to your right from 2 Corinthians, James chapter three and in verses 13 and following, we've been doing a study of James on Wednesday, if you want to come, 
We do it at 11 o'clock. If you're free during the day, we meet in the social hall. At night, uh, we meet up in the upper part of the campus at 7 o'clock. James is one of those uh, letters, one of those books where when you get into the study of it, you're not saying, oh, I just can't wait to know what James says next. Now, it's one of these books that's like, oh, no, I wonder what he's going to say next type books. He describes for us human wisdom. You see it up on the screen. And he's really just pretty straightforward here. In James chapter 3, verse 15, he says, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above. So this is not heaven's wisdom. This is not godly wisdom. This is just man's wisdom. This is just human wisdom. He says, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly and natural and demonic. That's pretty strong words. Earthly means it's void of God. Doesn't give God's wisdom, his thoughts, his word, any thought. He says it's natural. That means it's driven by the old sinful nature you and I were born with, we're still dealing with even as followers of Christ. It's there. So it's void of God. It's led by our old sinful nature. And he says it's demonic. It means it's influenced by demons. That doesn't mean we're possessed. It's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that's their door. Human wisdom is the door for Satan and his kingdom of darkness to influence our lives, to influence our thinking, to influence our attitudes, to <coughs> excuse me, influence the actions we choose to take in life. And it's all wrapped up in what he calls human wisdom. And not only deals with the reality of it, but he also describes the results of it in verse 16. If you'll look at that with me, he says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, describing what he was talking about in verse 15, he says, there is disorder and every evil thing. Listen to this. Disorder means chaos and confusion. Is there any chaos and confusion in your life? And he says, every evil thing, what that means, everything Satan can get out of it. And he will milk it to get everything he can to defeat, to discourage, and destroy you spiritually. Destroy your marriage, to destroy your family, to destroy your children, to destroy the body of Christ. And the open door, the unlocked door, is human wisdom as opposed to heavenly wisdom that we get from his word. See, it's serious. It's extremely serious. When we try to deal with the issues of our life, the issues of our marriages, the issues of our home, the issues even in the body of Christ, by human wisdom, it's his trap to walk through the door of our lives, our relationships, what God is doing to destroy create disorder, chaos, and confusion. 
and to destroy. So what ultimately are Satan's doors? This is his desires. What are his doors? What doors is he looking at in our lives that's going to open it up for him? Well, you know, we don't have time for me to go through a list of 50 or 75 things, right? <laughs> so I've got to put this in the context of a way that you can take it and you then, through the help of the Holy Spirit, can begin to apply it personally in your life as you examine your life. So Satan's doors begins with unconfessed sin. That is sin that's creeped into your life, and it does as it does my life, but I don't deal with it. I let it stay. You, you may be here today and there's something, something that happened three years ago, five years ago, maybe three months ago. I don't know, but you've never dealt with it. You never dealt honestly with it before Lord. What the scripture says in Ephesians 4.27, the very last part of that verse is, do not give Satan place and opportunity in your life. So what's he talking about? In military terms, we call this allowing Satan to establish a beachhead in our life. Let's talk about the Battle of Normandy. We just sent thousands and thousands of men towards a beach. The first purpose of that invasion was to establish a beachhead, a place that is theirs. They won that area, and now they're setting up camp in that area so that from that beachhead, they can now go out and begin to move against the enemy and take more territory and more territory and more territory. That's what happens in our lives. When we don't deal honestly and sincerely when sin comes into our lives. It's, it's like allowing an enemy, let's say literally, let's say again in a physical way. Here. You know, we try to protect ourselves physically. In your home, you get in your home and you, you lock doors, supposedly. If you're not, you probably should. But when you're not dealing with sin, it's like asking your enemy to come and set up camp in your front yard, at your front door. So the moment you unlock it for one other reason, they're in. They got you. And you're allowing them to do it. Because spiritually, you're not dealing with sin when it comes into your life. I, I know sin is, is, confession of sin is not something that brings comfort to us, but we need to understand God has provided for that through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary because he loved us. He said, look, I want you to deal with it. Don't let it linger. Deal with it, otherwise Satan is going to set up camp right at the door of your life. Coming in and out, coming in and out. And then he takes that room. He goes to this door and takes that room. He goes to the door and takes that room. 
And then that, before you know it, he's taken your whole home because of unconfessed sin. Not just dealing with it, honestly, before a loving and forgiving God. Another door that he uses is not only unconfessed sin, but unguarded heart. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter four and in verse 23. Now listen, please listen to this. Solomon says, watch over your heart. It's almost when you read it, he's pleading. Listen, he's pleading, watch over your heart with all diligence. Don't be casual about this. Don't be kind of sorta watching over your heart. No, he says, I want you to go do everything possible to protect your heart. Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. Let me ask you a question. How does anything get to your heart? You know, we never start with our heart. It always starts right here. Nothing can get to my heart till it comes through the control tower of my life. And that's my mind. Here's the door. I open this door and allow things to get to my heart. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, you see, we use a lot of, obviously, technology here. Most of you have either a smartphone, I know you got computers, iPad, you got all this stuff, but a human mind created all that. This is the most powerful computer in the world the human mind. Do you realize that there's nothing you have ever heard in your life that is not stored in your brain? It's there. It might be in the unconscious level right now. It's there. Everything you've ever smelled, every smell that's ever come before you, everything that you've touched, the texture, everything, is stored right there in the brain. And it's the control tower. It's the doorway to our heart. And so whatever we watch comes right through that doorway, right to our heart. Everything we read comes right through that doorway, right to our heart. Every kind of music we listen to comes right through that doorway and right to our heart. Everything we read comes right through this doorway right to my heart. So what are you inviting through the door of your brain that's affecting your heart? What are you allowing your children to watch, to see, to read? Let me ask you this question. Who's in your ear? Who are you allowing to speak into your life? 
See, that's the doorway right to your heart. Who are you allowing to speak into your children's life? Are you serious? Are you serious about protecting your heart and protecting your marriage and protecting your home and protecting this body of Christ spiritually by beginning to protect your own heart through what is coming through? This is so critical. It's so critical. Most not all, please understand what I'm saying. Most marriages fail because they didn't lock the doors. They watch stuff, they read stuff, they listen to people who flood their ears with human wisdom that you remember is void of God, driven by a sinful nature, demonically influenced, and Satan begins to milk it for everything he can to destroy it. Because he didn't lock the doors. Open them wide open and allow the enemy to come in, win the battle. See how serious this is. So, I just want to stop here and just ask you to consider just what we've talked about today. I'm not through. I encourage you to be back next Sunday so I can, I can finish this word that God has given to us. But is there anything you need to deal with? Again, it's not something that necessarily, it could have happened this morning, it could have happened three years ago. It's not the issue. The issue is just get it right so you can shut that door so that he can pull down that stronghold, that beachhead that he has in your life or in your marriage between you and your children, between you and your parents, maybe even in the body of Christ. What changes do you need to make? What you watch, what you read, who you're letting speak into your ear. And your children. The, the battle's real. Now, don't think you're outside of this. You're right in the middle of it just like I am. Like everybody else. So let's just, let's just stop right here and just <laughs> do some soul searching. I just want us to do, do some real. We're not playing church today. We're dealing with real, life-changing things. And, and you might be on a road right now because of the doors have been open and Satan has already just done, milked it and milked it and milked it. And you don't know what tomorrow holds in your life, 
in your home. You start changing directions today. Today. So we need to just bow your heads.